dream to seek the unknown, to look for what is beautiful is its own reward. A man's reach should exceed his grasp. You are the explorer. Give me a hand. What you seek is far greater than you ever imagined. It is your destiny. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Fireside Chat Part 3 with Kevin Martin. As you guys know, we had Part 1, 2, and we're going on for a, another uh, episode today on toxic femininity. So tune in. Make sure you tune in and make sure you comment, drop your comments, questions to Kevin. And this is going to be incredibly um, beneficial because I think today I want to dive more deeper into this toxic femininity aspect and how it manifests and some of the maybe uh, maybe um, some of the concepts we can kind of break it apart and really try and understand what they are. So before we go into it, I want to say hello and welcome to Kevin. Hello, thank you for having me on again. Um, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I realize um, how uh, divisive, how impactful, how it stirs everyone's um, minds. Uh, I mean, it's a very difficult, challenging topic to take on board. But as I said, I, all, I, all I keep wanting to reiterate is try and get away from the subjective personal aspect of the female and get into the psychological spiritual aspect we're talking about the feminine that's really important to keep making that objective distinction when we're talking about this toxic femininity this is like um it's like Jung's anima animus this um toxic aspect of us so you can have a toxic feminine within the male and a toxic feminine within the female it's not just specifically a female as in a person concept okay so here so from my understanding we can have a healthy feminine and healthy masculine in our psyche, in our in our way, in our in our um, being, and then we can also have toxic feminine and toxic masculine within housed in our being. So we can have all of these things um, that will. And do you think that they also come out? Um, and they also differ and change depending on who we are interacting with. So, for example, um, when I'm with my say, say if I had just giving a very like this is a very simplistic way of uh, understanding this guy. So bear with me. So if I had four friends, Kevin, I've got four friends, uh, and and each one obviously they're different, and I have a different energetic um, connection with them. So when I meet friend number one on a co like for a coffee it's is it correct for me to say that i can definitely tune into my toxic masculine while i'm interacting with that person while i can be channeling toxic femininity with another friend while i'm doing uh, both on the third one like i can literally shift from one to next because these are all housed in us for us to be conscious of right Totally. Um, and then obviously, so you, you, 
you have to understand we live in a world where most people live in the in what burn eric burn talks about games it's a world of projections so that so one person may be projecting the negative animal onto you and they may be projecting the negative animal onto someone else so it depends on what game you already set in in terms of that dynamic mm-hmm. uh, so what makes that um a relationship work if that makes sense so you you may already be already the minute you interact with this person you're already in, in, in we know we talked about the drama triangle mm-hmm. triangle where you're, you're you've already got preconceived roles we all might agree into them roles can and you go, role, can you quickly recap on those pre what did you say pre conceived roles so yeah so you're whether you're the persecutor victim or a rescuer within each a game we're playing each um fundamental relationship we're in we may have one of them designated roles to make that relationship work and it can change it can shift this is exactly what i was saying again yeah this is it sorry to cut you there this is getting exciting yeah this is exactly what i mean that role changes depending on the person that we are interacting with and this this person can be the mom the child the father the friend the social friends um best friend sister brother right our roles the, the basically the, the triangle we are always taking a different role moving about on that triangle when we are interacting with people unless we really get this and really bring it to our consciousness from my understanding well yeah so jungian jung talks about the concept of the persona this social construct we 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 create to interact with the world so we'll have different personas with different people So we've learned over maybe as as a dynamic with one person oh this persona works then we interact with somebody else I go oh, this persona works so so what you see a lot when you're dealing with clients who have or starting to grow then relationships will start breaking down because the persona is now being made more authentic and therefore so say maybe someone's pro- was continuous projecting their dysfunction the anima the 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 mother on you so if you're starting to work with and breaking up that aspect that projection will have more impact on you now and also you probably won't want it, you won't tolerate it anymore and and you'll question the dynamics of the relationship and that's when it whether, whether you can sustain it or the likelihood is probably going to break up because the other person doesn't want to change their role Yes. Okay. So and this is why it gets too entangled and too deep with our intimate intimate relationships, especially family relationships because family relationships like so difficult to get away from this dynamic and then we fall into this conflict of yes, we love our family because um the spiritual being that we are, we want to have compassion, discernment, we want to accept them, we want to hold space for them. um you know but at the same time we run out of energy we run out of patience because um when this uh, dynamic is um realized from our perspective then it becomes very difficult to be around those people doesn't matter how discerning how accepting right because you know it i mean a lot of you guys who have these dynamics in your intimate family especially family or romantic relationships you guys would know how difficult it is to be around somebody who's constantly projecting their role that they've taken on while they are with you 
I need to. I've I've got. Uh, I need to pick up my post. Okay, no problem. No problem. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll let you keep talking, Kevin. Just kind of. Can you just kind of uh, rephrase that for what I just said, and then I'll come back and join again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no problem. No problem. So I think uh, what Susan's trying to explain is this this concept of. Um, she talked about decided we have to love our family. So that's really interesting as well. This, you know, uh, it's very socially uh, unacceptable to be not uh, totally uh, entwined and, and, and love and, and, and the concept of hating your mother or your father uh, brings out uh, very social uh, taboos and we're, we're sort of left in, again, to fill these roles and dynamics. So what we'll also find, TA talks about uh, parents, adults and child. So if you're in a very parental and child dynamic with our parents because we haven't integrated or we haven't separated that we haven't become an adult we we immediately end up in this child parent power dynamic where we're constantly being asked to be a child and and, and submit and never challenge the, your mother uh, and a lot of these dynamics are reinforced by the father where very common message within a lot of these cultures is you know, don't challenge your mother, be nice to your mother. Your mother's got your best interests at heart. So not only then do you have the submission to your mother, you also have the reinforcement of the father. So the child's left in this really limbo, in this sort of swampland place where it's got nowhere to move or manoeuvre. So normally they make the choice to say, okay, I'm going to love my mother. I'm going to create this omnipotent image of her which i'm going to connect with which i'm going to interject not integrate but interject to this this false image which then i relate to because then i don't have to live with my hate my hatred towards my mother or my bad feelings towards my mother which an adult would have an adult has multitude level of negative and positive uh, emotions the child uh, ends up being split between good and bad emotions and then normally tends to project the bad emotions onto the other. So as you said, if you're in a dynamic with a friend or somebody like that where somehow you become the butt of all their projections or under their thumb is another common terminology, that will continue until you decide you're not willing to take the projections. Well, I was hearing you, by the way, as I was getting the door. Um... This is really deep, Kevin. So it's just too complicated. It's too complex. Um, it, the, the, it, it, sounds, so it sounds To really like define what this is, it's, it sounds so complicated. Like you've got to think about your role in this dynamic. You've got to think about your own projections because usually it's not easy because we have this thing called self-deception. We are constantly self-deceived. And then you have to think about the other person's projection. And then there is this untrust within, because one of the biggest um, lessons I had to learn is to trust my intuition. How difficult it, that it is to trust our intu intuition. For example, sometimes you say to me as well, because um, I had a, I had a be, be, you know, borderline tendencies, and you would say borderline people are super intuitive in the way they pick up uh, the environmental cues and you know everything that everything that goes on around me it's true but the thing is the problem that I had throughout my life is that 
how do I trust that? And I have this, um, I call it the, the doubt police, like comes out patrolling. So I call it the doubt police. So when I'm feeling intuitively, I know what this person is doing. I don't want to be part of this game. I don't want to play their game. And then I, and then instantly my police, doubt police would come out and say, are you sure? Are you sure it's them? It's not you. How do you know it's, how do you know this is, this is what's going on? Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're wrong. So yeah, this is, this is the complex situation right now. Trusting our gut. And, and the trust comes. So as, as we're talking about this idea, there's the Medusa complex. So the Medusa, if you're the dynamics, so you end up with a very little sense of self, if not a frag, very fragile, fragmented sense of self. And the only way you can build up that trust is by understanding and creating a, a greater, more, as we talk about strengthening the ego, uh, adult. So you become, you have a much more established sense of self. Therefore, you can trust your instincts more and you and you're able in a way to not listen to the patrol uh the police um doubt, doubt. In, in, doubting but also intruding in into your concept of the world it's really funny a book i was just reading i just put something up on the post where they talk about the, the city wall uh where you're sitting in inside the city wall which is just and inside that is the me concept of me and patrolling this wall is the police so it's quite funny that you mentioned it this patrol police this military police which is on guard to stop the unconscious coming into the con to the to the concepts of of, of me so the not me the part of the aspects you don't like yourself you had this military police surrounding the wall your 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 persona to mm -hmm. stop the unconscious coming into your conscious identity so in a way they're there your police is what could be argued as your ego defences. It stops you mm -hmm. growing, and also, as you said, if we if we are still in this dynamic with this Medusa mother, we have a very little sense of self. We have very little uh, uh, idea of trust, and we're yeah. constantly having to go back to this Medusa mother to make ourselves feel safe. Yeah, I know we're going. We, we I know you had an amazing slides uh, on the last one. We only did only how many? Four, five? Four, I, can't. I think we did four. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I'm sure we'll we'll pick it up from there going. But I just want to just squeeze in this thing that I want to just say also. So this Medusa mother concept is the um, toxic feminine in ourselves, housed in ourselves um, when we go through a uh, developmental trauma. Is that when it occurs? And. So it's just like it's a mythological figure of a mother. It's a depiction mm. of Medusa was sent away to the uh, outskirts because she was trying to seduce Poseidon, who represents the underworld, to so the unconscious. So she was sent out, and then she was disfigured, and she was given these snake-like uh, hair and a rattlesnake tail. And basically, if you looked her in the eye, she would turn you to stone. But then she'd also fire poisonous arrows at you, like um, like Eros, but poisonous love arrows. So that was another way of killing you. So it's poisonous just, just love. Poisonous, so poison, love. poisonous love, yeah. And she, she would kill you with this poisonous love. So that's the concept of the Medusa mother, where it's this poisonous love. It's this totally conditional um, mm -hmm. 
unrelenting submission to the mother's agenda and how she sees the world and how she wants to mold you as a person. Okay, we've got to stop here and open a window. This is so big. This is so, so important right now. So I know someone in my family with that, that type of agenda. And, and the, the two kids are totally um, socially dysfunctional because of that. Because like you said, they have this poisonous way of giving love based on their own agenda that the children they have no option but to adapt to this poisonous projected poisonous love and agenda because i find that when when moms like that in the society they also know um somehow they know that um they can only do this in closed doors. Like they would avoid any social gathering, any um, Christmas dinners. I know that this this level of agenda, those people, they totally feel, um, how can I say? They don't feel safe in um, around uh, other people where in case they, they are clocked or they, they will be called out or they will be noticed of what they're doing. But, but also they find a, a very intelligent way to do this so, the, so that the others, they don't really realize unless you're super intuitive and you're watching what's going on between the mom and the, the child, which I've observed a lot. And, um, yeah, they would kind of avoid those gatherings just in, just in case, you know, that they get to seeing of what they are doing to these kids. And, and then, obviously, these children, they don't have any opportunity or, like, an outlet from another trusted grown-up where they can find some kind of a peace and safety from, anyway. And if the father is not around often, that's just the perfect, perfect environment for the Medusa mom. Should we call them Medusa mom? Is yeah, we, could call, we could call them Medusa mom, yeah. Um, yeah. What yeah. you also tend to find a lot, as you said, even if the husband isn't around, the husband's already endured years of the toxicity and okay. ends up placing himself away from the mother. So he may become a workaholic. He may be out, never at home. So in a way, he's he's sacrificing his friends, his children, sorry, for himself. So he doesn't he's quite happy to, to have quite happy to leave his, his his children within the toxicity. Doesn't confront it, but keeps himself away from the continuous mm-hmm. toxicity. Well, so isolation is a very good tactic. So you're totally dependent on the mother. You cannot you cannot separate physically as a child. You'll need you'll need you'll need uh, food. You need to be fed. You need to be clothed. You need so that aspect of isolation. But also, it's interesting you're saying about these social dynamics. A lot of them do go out to social dynamics, but they've conditioned the children so well, they know how to behave socially. Yeah. And as you said, all it may take is a stare. All it may take is that Medusa look. Mm-hmm. Or raising of a little finger of a little hand, and that child, you said, will freeze, stand still. Yeah. Like like it's like that oh, Medusa yeah. death has, has turned into stone. Yeah. And then yeah. and they'll they'll know. And as you said, unless you're 
micromanaging or micro uh, observing that situation, you're not going to see the sir. You're not going to see the yeah. uh, the finger. But the other thing that's important, so transaction analysis, we talk about these ideas of ulterior transactions. So games, which I mentioned earlier, this uh, drama triangle, is all played with ult- ulterior transactions. That's where the main message is. So say you're at a dinner table and me and you talk, we, we will, what we call, have a psychological conversation. But if you have an intimate partner, who's got a history with you, the way you'll respond to me, I will read differently to the way your partner will read it because he understands what your tone means, your gesture means, yeah. the way you've relayed it. It's, so that's an ulterior transaction, which is, is is conceived and perceived at a totally different level. So all yeah. it would take is a little raising of a voice or a little gesture, and a child will know what's being said, even though the message being relayed is totally different to what everyone else is hearing. Yeah, because the child has a history of enduring the Medusa mother's agenda with a toxic, poisonous love. So the, the, child, child, the, child, the child's also hypervigilant, already hypersensitive, already conditioned to be in that mode, especially in social yeah. gatherings. Yes, and... Um, Wow, this is so bad. It's heartbreaking. Do you know there is a lady um, that she did a lot of uh, study in in children, uh, early developmental traumas in children, and um, she has a way of saying that children under seven are always tripping. She says, uh, apparently she said, um, if you ever want to experience, because, you know, we always talk about psychedelics and how they alter your states and you go into these non ordinary states and whatnot um she says if you really want to experience altered states of consciousness have a tea with a four-year-old she says children are like you said hyper vigilant hyper alert hyper attuned to their environment they live in the present and they are totally in their altered states all the time which means i have a theory that this is my theory um for example if there is an argument in the house, to, you know, the parents are arguing, and um, it's not it's not a big argument, but um, for grown-ups, you know, who's experiencing or witnessing it. But then, when it comes to a child witnessing this argument, it's literally hundred times amplified because they are in that altered state, also called, I think it's theta. I think they're in that that brainwave they're in that hyper vigilant sensitive super sensitive but i like the way she says it they're always in that altered states and that means they are perceiving and they are receiving and they are witnessing the argument amplified 100 times which means it's going to wire them as they say that's why i'm a huge believer in um, a lot of our dysfunctional behavior or projections of limitations of beliefs all unconsciously happens early life you know early um according to dr martyr he even says even before age of two mm. two or three yeah well, most most personality disorders are formed before three years old yeah he says if you if you've done as a parent if you have done your work uh, consciously and you've done your best and you did a good job by the age of three then you can relax and put your feet up if you haven't then you have a lifelong issue with your child, you know, 
then they will be constantly struggling. So the example you gave reminded me of something very important as well. So if a child sees two parents arguing, what would tend to happen with someone like the Medusa mother, she will she will intrude the child and and make the child choose her over the other parent. So the child becomes like in this incestuous bond with the mother and the, the father or the other part that's devalued, demonized. And so that so that's another way of setting up that dynamic with a child if you think of it really that the father may be the only escape or the other partner may be the only escape for the child to move away from the mother. Mm-hmm. Now this Medusa mother's already set this, mm-hmm. your father's not going to come and help you. Your father's not here to support you. Your father's not going to, your father's all these bad things. So it's another way of making the child even fuse even deeper and merge deeper with this Medusa mother, which so when we say we do some mother, we're talking about the concept. The child doesn't see the mother as a Medusa mother. That's what we have to say. It's really, yeah. it's really important. Yeah. He sees this mother as this loving, great, omnipotent being, yes. even though she's destroying his soul in the process. Yes. And this could happen. Also, this could happen with the dad as also. Dad, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, so, father, yeah, the, the, yeah. the father with a toxic femininity. With the Medusa toxic. With the Medusa Femininity with yeah. him will nurture his children the same way yeah. as the toxic female. Yeah, um, saying bad things about the mother and victimizing himself and like saying that he's always right and the mother was the wrong person and then try to see this is the way, this is the fastest way to destroy children. In that entanglement, I, I know you have your um, concepts in the, I call them entanglements. Mm. When we're entangled emotionally with other people, especially in romantic relationships, and then there is this toxic dynamic is happening between the two. There's this tug of war is going on. Um, Children are in between and children suffer the consequences of this. And those children, I think it's the the fastest way to destroy them, honestly. Because Mm. because in that situation, would you say that the the either either parts counterparts they don't know they're so immersed in their righteousness and proving themselves or in that fight to win the battle Uh, not intentionally but they are far far off thinking about the child they're far far off to even pay attention to what are they actually doing to the child or the children they have right this is a massive Thing yeah, so, so these parents have no, they have no, so, so we talk about impairment. They, so Medusa mother has no psychological insight. There's, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no. How do we crack this? Yeah, okay. Please tell me, how can we crack this Medusa mother open so that she gets a little window of, little glimpse of what she is doing to herself and to the environment, to the people? How do you do that? I mean, that's a, it's a small question, but a massive change in how the whole concept of the world we live in. Because at the moment, what we do, most of therapy, most of that uh, psychiatry, the child's the problem. The child, the person, who, the child who grows up into the adult, the addict, the, the person with OCD, they're the people we treat. They're the people we say of all these disorders you've got borderline personality you've got no so it's that the child going into the adult is the one we treat we don't we don't sit back and go oh okay what's the cause 
And then also we live in a society where femininity is, uh, feminism is, is, is encouraged, it's rewarded. And if anything, masculinity is the thing that's been demonized and, um, and well, dethroned from yeah. um, the, the dynamic. So how do we get to that space where, and also if that Medusa mother is working, I always say this about anything in therapy, if if your relationships are working, your outside world's working, why would you ever want to change? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why would you? If you perceive that this is functioning, you're functioning, everything seems to be okay and working, why would you wanna why would you wanna reflect, right? Why would you wanna even care if your, you're all your children are devoted to you, all your children worship you? You, you you've you've created this public persona. No yeah. one's aware of it. You're unconscious to how you impact in others. Why why would you why would you need to change? You're getting your what we could say your narcissistic supply. You're getting everything you need emotionally. Yeah. Uh, why would you change? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it gets um, very complicated for children growing up. Like you said, they end up pathological they feel this and that you know it's a pathological entanglement it becomes like i know people i know people personally who um they get they become very nervous just going to visit their mom or dad in that in that in that medusa um energy let's call it yeah so if you you think of that so you you know if you think about your gut or your instinct Mm -hmm. your instincts telling you your instincts been alerted it's it's on guard mm-hmm. but you ignore it to go back and make contact with with the parent to go back into the game because yeah. what happens if you don't play the game you'll right get, yeah you'll, you'll end up having massive guilt feelings um in a way this is why and then you'll be overwhelmed with the unconscious so if you think of that omnipotent image you have of the mother you, you gradually might start letting some of that Medusa image in, that mm-hmm. the actual the actual true version of of the mother, and so the unconscious yeah. starts flooding your mm-hmm. your psyche, and that's where we end up. As you said, that's where we end up with, with addictions, where we end up with things to to numb out the overwhelm, or uh, ways of uh, numbing ourselves out, or OCD, keep ourselves busy, keep ourselves active, so we we can keep the unconscious at bay. There's all um, mm-hmm methods to keep the unconscious overwhelming us um, yeah. when reality starts coming in. And um, there's probably yeah. nothing more terrifying than yeah. the child actually mm-hmm. being faced with the reality of the Medusa mother and not this loving, great, caring mother. Yeah. Let's talk about Medusa far. Let's, let's put them all in the same in the same place, because I know so many Medusa dads as well. That um... Oh, yeah, sure. So as I said, so when I'm talking about the, this, this toxic femininity, it's yeah. not – okay, so maybe I'll mention the mother more than the father, so you're right to correct me. So, yeah, this concept is contained within each parent. Yeah. So, guys, women or men, we have it within us. This Medusa uh, phenomenon, it's uh, within all of us, and it craves power. It's, it's narcissistic. It's uh, – it wants to dominate. It has an agenda. It has a 
It's not interested in looking in and reflecting. It doesn't want to change, transform, and become a compassionate person. You know, uh, allowing, accepting. Because I know, I know, like um, so many. Like I said, especially with dads. I mean, I know so many, so many friends of mine. Oh my God, there's one specific friend of mine. Obviously, we're not mentioning names here, but um, I would love to have him on a call. By the way, he's he's so incredibly uh, consciously aware of this. What happened? Um, basically, simply um, uh, one event that changed his whole entire course of his life. So they were driving through some place, and then he wanted to go and see something. And the dad said something so um, uh, random and uh, manipulative and uh, belittling the child. And uh, he was about 13 years old. And that moment was a defining moment for him. And from then on, he spent all of his adult life trying to trying to get validation from his dad. He literally spent entire his grown-up adult life uh, marrying the right person, getting the right job, buying the right house that dad will approve. He literally spent the rest of his life trying to get this dad, Medusa dad, to approve him. Until it was like in his, uh, I think, late late thirties. You know, as we say, sometimes maturity is the is is the one way to wake up. As we get older, we we tend to the pain becomes too heavy to carry. Either we're pathologically so sick, and um, we have these symptoms uh, that manifest through these developmental traumas that we end up um, in God knows what kind of medications and physical disabilities, physical limitations, and then you hit your middle ages and you're like, what have I done? And uh, it's it's a very, very horrible, painful place to be. But at the same time, Kevin, would you say um, making the unconscious conscious is more terrifying than any physical symptoms that we go through in life? Because you know a lot of people that suffer from serious depression, diabetes, heart issues, obesity, but they would rather deal with that than actually go and face what's inside, right? Go to the root, go to deep into the root because that's more terrifying and painful to face. What is that? Why are we like this as human beings? What is it? What is it? Um, I think a lot of it's to do with... um, civilization the society we live in is deemed um i mean even even today if you say you've been to therapy people think oh there must be something seriously wrong with you to go to therapy this idea of you won't want to grow you that you wouldn't might, might go maybe just to trying to find out who you are or understand what's going on or understand your dynamics it's got a, it's got a stigma to it for yeah. sure in terms of therapy um but also we touched on it a bit earlier if if you don't have to do this and you can survive and you can, um, one of my mentor, my mentor talks about living in a, in a, in a playground, a classroom. Mm. So therapy and introspection is, it's a classroom. You're learning about yourself. You're spiritually developing. The playground is where unfortunately the most of, most of society lives where we talked about life's about being happy and gaining rewards and attachments and possessions. And if society's given most of us that, then why would we 
why would we look inside? Most people only ever end up in therapy or stuff like that. It's when they're facing a crisis or something's collapsed or something. Or as you said, maybe there's a pattern of behaviour which gets too much and they and they want to change it. So yeah. on all them on all them examples, it isn't working anymore. That's the only time it sort of brings us to a point where we have to go, okay, look, I need to stop. I need this needs to change. Yeah. But the society we live in at the moment, too many people are getting away with not having to do with any introspection. Even though we can see the madness increasing every day of the week, it's still not enough to bring yeah. people to introspection. And also, would you say there's a lot of stigma around um, the environment? Because this is what happens in my experience. Interestingly, there's always that one person in each family that they somehow find themselves in these uh, big questions and they start, um, they call, as, as Jim Carrey, I know some of you guys are not too big a fan of Jim Carrey, but he always says uh, the isolated family member is the one that usually wakes up or awakens, that type of the, thing. The scapegoat. Mm-hmm. But the so thing, you, you'd, have, you'd have a family scapegoat when it gets projected yeah. upon. Yeah, always. Um, but at the same time, the, the, I think that the real issue, I would say, uh, my theory would be like um, we're talking a lot with uh, one of our members in the group about um, psychology of birth. You know, my earlier question with passion, like, what is it? What is it? What is it that we just, you know, what are we doing type of thing? Like, why are we so wired uh, to to be in, in stuck in those dysfunctional, toxic relationships, intimate relationships or entangled or, or at least stay the, stay in the entanglement rather than, uh, face it is because I feel like it goes or tracks back down to the primal trauma of birth you know I know this is another massive can of worms that we can open here but maybe we should do another talk on the primal trauma uh, I also have this friend in the group we're going to do a second part on the psychology of birth um, so obviously this tracks back to not only from birth to three years but I think it goes way beyond it goes to the to the time when the the baby is in in the womb. It goes, you know, so it's it's a very deep complex, and 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 the birth process itself apparently is the actual process that wires us to pain, to trauma initially, and then you're set up for life to be traumatized, and and just um, just you know the experience just keeps amplified through your early development so th- there's there's a lot to talk about here but I would just want to say this um, before we get too deep that I think there uh, the reason a lot of people are avoiding reflection and and facing and doing the work for me has been my experience there is a huge stigma around talking about these subjects in those environments so if we don't have an environment that supports and, 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 you know, if we live in a family where we cannot have open discussions and everything's just swept under the carpet and there's always this big elephant in the room, everyone energetically feels there's a dysfunction, there's toxic thing going on, but we cannot bring ourselves to talk and address and, and look in each other's eyes and say, hey, I'm feeling this way, I'm not blaming you, but can we just talk about it? Obviously, this doesn't happen. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons people don't heal because they don't seek. They don't seek to heal because the moment they start their healing journey, it gets worse. 
they became even more of a scapegoat. They became even more of a someone to like an outcast. So therefore, um, they happily kind of go along rather medicating themselves for their symptoms than actually facing. That's why um, yesterday we talked with David about community. I think community, finding the others. Like I'm always promoting this concept of find the others that would help you do this work. Because if you happen to wake up and if you happen to realize what's going on in your intimate and, and family relationships, this dynamic, you are literally picking up that something is off and there are things you cannot name, understand, but you know in your heart there's something that's going on. You must find those others. You must find those people that would hold you accountable, hold space, uh, reflect, help you to reflect, and also support you going through those um, riding the waves and the chaos and the crisis of waking up. Uh, we always, again and again, um, you said a, a really important thing here, Kevin. You said therapy is so stigmatized. If you go to therapy, there's something wrong with you. This is so bad. Every single one of us need therapy. Every single one of us should have someone to pick us up and also be the sounding board. Because what happens in therapy? Truly, what happens? The person, if the person is really well trained and it, if the person really knows their work and they've done their own work, they know how to be just a sounding board reflecting back what you're saying. Then they guide you to your inner self and get, they guide you to find the answers within yourself. This is the healthy therapy model. But obviously, we cannot talk about these things openly. And there are so many people exploiting this. There are so many therapists out there who are just making money and exploiting this vulnerable aspect of our psyche. And they don't want to help because they haven't done their work. And they don't even know they haven't done their work. How many people do you know, Kevin, as therapists, that they claim to be this expert in certain thing and they haven't done their work? Right? So yeah, but as I said multiple times, my experience is not many, not very few. But also, again, most therapy is about it's like a band aid. It's it's going in to make the social construct work better. It's to make it to rescue, to heal the mm. full self. So you're not actually stripping it apart and finding out who you are underneath the persona. So the other thing that comes to mind, you said, why don't we do it? So you think of the, the betrayal of leaving your mother, the loss, just, uh, and, and if we think of someone like the, the Medusa mother, that, that egoic structure is, is fused. So your, self, your mother is still self-soothing you. Your mother is still um, aiding in your impulse control. Your the mother still aiding in your frustrations tolerance. So the minute you start to separate, if you think of that child, so you think of a child toddling along and 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 experiencing the world separate from the mother, it's scary, it's frightening. Um, yeah, it's it, as well as being great and imaginative and curious and stuff like that. But that child needs to be able to explore, make mistakes, fall over, but then with the knowing it can come back and be soothed by the mother. The idea is to be able to be able to self-soothe yourself. So what you'll see majority, especially things like addicts and OCD, they're unable to self-soothe themselves. So the mm -hmm. so the addiction, the 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 shopping, the the sex, that becomes 
that that's the thing that soothes the anxiety in that immediate uh, moment, but then it it is is uh, fleeting. It doesn't stay because you don't have the egoic structure in place to to be able to soothe yourself and contain the anxiety. So when you're talking about the therapist, people a lot of people don't understand the therapy is so the person will project the bad parts onto the therapist, but the therapist can contain, which they can't contain. Yes. And in the containment, the therapist can neutralize it, change it, differentiate it, and then gradually hand it back to the person so they can contain it and build up that ego container, that ego strength, that vessel, which then means they will then be able to self-soothe. Yeah. And then not hopefully not need the... The, the dysfunctional behaviors to 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 deal with the anxiety they'd be able to do, to do it themselves so that's missed a lot in therapy in terms of what therapy is actually providing yeah yeah i think it's powerful yeah it's a great great way to um talk about therapy in that uh, in that way yeah i think a lot of us has misconceptions around therapy what it is and, and, the, and the other thing you're doing is you're replacing the medusa mother so the mm-hmm. therapist can become the new mother or the internalized parent and working with and separating from the old internalized parent, you can then cultivate your own new internalized parent with the aid of the therapist. Therefore, you know, you, you end up with a nurturing, yeah. um, caring, feminine aspect of yourself in a way, we've slayed the Medusan complex. That's the idea in terms of what we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think this is finally, it's very clear now um, what it is and what, what the Medusa aspect of us serve and what kind of, you know. So, and then of- another thing, because there's no separation, the, the mother or father sees the child as an extension of himself. Yeah. So they're sort of contained in this bubble. Mm-hmm. So you have the same beliefs as me. You have the same ideas mm-hmm. as me. You think the same as me. Your your emotions are the same as mine. It's that it's that toxic in terms of how um, small the bubble is in terms of movement. So if you if you venture outside of that bubble or bring something new into the bubble, it's going to cause massive discomfort and um, disparity within the bubble and cause tension, hence anxiety, hence. Yeah. behaviors to try and get back to being fused with the mother again yeah of course of course because uh it's very difficult for parents to uh look at their child and think of them as these are sovereign independent free spirits they they just uh, it's not not every parent uh, toxic parents impaired parents see their children like that a healthy parent will not see their child yeah as an extension of themselves, they'll be exactly. they'll encourage the child uniqueness inside, encourages to to differentiate it from the parent to be different, but yeah. also contained with the difference. That's the massive difference. Yeah, exactly, and and it takes a hell of a lot of deep self work and and be conscious, be conscious of ourselves to to be a conscious parent to be able to. I look at the child and say, hey, you're a free spirit. You came through me. Thank you. I'm here to guard you, guide you, and help you thrive and find your own way in the world. I mean, how many parents can do that? Honestly, it's very hard. 
Well, they'd have to done their own journey previously themselves. They'd have to, they'd have to separate it from the. They'd have to done their own work to be able to see the world in that level of consciousness to 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 give it to their children. Yeah. At the next generation down, as you know, generational trauma is just passed down from one to the next. Well, but people don't understand that's done through relational relational dynamics. That's done through. Yeah. The Medusa complex, and Freud, Freud talks about um, the Oedipus complex being castrated by the mother. So yeah. he talks around that that stage. I think it's about six or seven, where the child tries to move away to the father, um, but either the father will castrate the child in terms of supporting the mother and and, and keeping the child entangled with the mother, or the mother will do it herself, and the child won't have the courage or the willpower to actually move towards the father. That's so deep. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so these are all energetical, uh, generational past traumas. And, you know, right now the world is waking up to this uh, generational trauma. I see so many workshops, so many online programs looking at this issue. There are lots of people doing work. Psychologists are really looking into it. I think we're now at a time where we really understand the generational trauma a lot better than we did. Um, it's become and and understand that this is like a, a lineage. Like the moment, here's another thing that I want to just quickly uh, squeeze in. If you decide to do your own work, uh, this is why it's again another uh, aspect of why it's so hard. I heard that in the shamanic uh, view that if you do your own self work, you will be healing not just yourself but seven generations before you and seven generations after you the ones that are yet to come. I think this is so powerful. And that kind of shows us the level of work that it requires. What does that mean? That means we need to go through a death and a rebirth process, that separation, the pain. And I also want to highlight what you said earlier. You said um, doing self-work is not about adding, adding, adding. It's about subtracting. It's shedding. It's taken away until there's nothing left until there's nothing left, literally nothing in your core. There's nothing that you can hang on to. Like when I had, uh, when I'd gone through my own OCD addiction, um, I was a really severe OCD addict. You know, I was a, I was a super OCD. <clears throat> and it was great at the time because it was helping me not reflect. It was helping me distract. It was helping me deal with the pain. <clears throat> but obviously I didn't think of it that way. I just thought that it was, that I liked being tidy, right? Who would have known? <laughs> Who would have known? Being OCD means you're tidy. Well done. Pat on the back. Great job. Nobody really looks at OCD as a disorder or some type of a uh, coping mechanism. It's very, very difficult to really realize that. But um, had to. How, how did I go through it? I mean, obviously, I did have my... Um, I think the one that worked with the OCD, I can definitely out loud say here, is the San Pedro experience. As you know, Kevin, I'm into psychedelics because I find that psychedelics have a way of um, inf infiltrating into our psyche in the way that um, otherwise we cannot do. And I think it was the San Pedro experience very first time when I realized that integration into this physical world, that I don't need to be this person. Because in the, in the past, I used to um, get really annoyed going into nature and uh, only very, very late in my life, I realized it had it was inter in, it was interlinked with my LTD. Like I hated being on the grass barefoot, 
I hated sitting on the grass. I hated being in the nature. I didn't even perceive trees as something majestic or the nature is majestic. I never perceived all of these things because I never thought it was, I was blocked. I was totally blocked. And when people used to say to me, you should go and hug a tree, I used to get annoyed. When they say, if you're feeling a bit stressed, you should go and take off your socks and walk on the grass. And I used to get pissed off. And that's because when somebody's, somebody is totally disconnected, the last thing you want to say to them is go and hug a tree because that's going to just start, they will just kind of start uh, lashing out on you and start getting angry. <clears throat> it's like um, telling an addict, just quit. Same thing. It's same thing, literally. And, um, that's, that's, a fantastic, most- that's a fantastic example of how the, the complex we're talking about. So that's another thing which is good to bring into the conversation. The, the Medusa cuts you off from nature, cuts you off from your uh, spiritual instincts. That's another thing it does. It's very mechanical, very concrete, very linear, very stoic. So all anything nature, as you said, so yeah. what you're doing, bringing people in, back in contact with nature, a lot of uh, somatic work's all about getting back in contact with nature, grounding yourself. They're all ways of gradually bringing your S. So when you said this idea of you've got to strip everything away and dissolution, if, if you talk about the alchemical process, it's this idea of dissolution and putrefaction. So it's cleaning away all the dirt and the mess. But what you find at the bottom is what they call the prima materia. It's your essence. That's when you start finding your soul underneath all the dirt. I love it. That's when you I get back. It. That's when you get back in contact with your authentic self. Yeah, I love it. And yeah, I just want to quickly finish off my example on my OCD. Sorry, so, sorry. No, that's okay. But I love what you just said there. This is it, and this is what happens. And um, yeah, when San Pedro and I had that connection, and then I came home. And I came home for about a week. I didn't have the urge to clean. Uh-huh. I didn't have the urge to um, straighten the shoes or the sofa, the pillows. I just left everything as it is. And I surprised myself that I didn't know I had no longer, like I didn't have this gut churning feeling. Because before, like if I left the dishes in the sink, I'd have, I couldn't go, I couldn't go out before they need to be done and they need to be dried properly so if you were a guest in my house and you left first of all if you were a guest in my house i'd make you feel so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. by making you feel like you're just like intruding my space and then as soon as you say you're going to use the bathroom by the time you come back i would go and straighten the, the sofa and put the pillow straight and make you super uncomfortable. And as soon as you leave my house, I would bleach the cup that you had tea with and I would change the towels and I would mop the floor in case you dropped hair or you dropped something from you in on my floor. Okay? So I came back from my San Pedro experience and I totally didn't want to do that. And I was like, ah, this is lovely. Ooh, Mm. this is a fresh breath. I can breathe now. But then after a week or two, it started creeping up. And that's when I realized, again, you know, this is another subject, but integration. You know, we talk about integration. Sometimes, you know, going to therapy, taking psychedelics or meditating doesn't just kind of um, stop the problem or to give you the solution. But the, the once things are in your – so the beautiful thing is that once it was in my consciousness that, oh, my God, I know what this is and I'm going to work with this, I made that decision and I promised myself. Um, I went into the minimalist. So – 
I literally, like you said, stripped it all apart by going into a, a very um, a hardcore minimalist way of living. That was so hard. That was my death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. And then I kept going, kept going. Six months to one year, I could finally breathe and I could finally be okay with everything. And yeah, so that was my integration process where I kept direct confronting that with, um, you know, taking away, taking away, like you said, until there was nothing else to direct confront. So that was a, that was a journey and more. So, yeah. So that's, that's a good example. So if you think of um, the OCD, so the OCD is all about control and certainty. Everything's got to be in place. Everything's got to be structured. And you said cleanliness comes with it, this idea of it. So in a way, with you clearing all that, them structures away, that, mm -hmm. that need for control and everything else in the way you've done it in, a, in another way of getting away this need of control but then what you've also done is you've created space and that's what we're trying to do what you're trying to do with the the mushrooms and what i'm trying to do with you're trying to create a space to 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 clear out the container and create a new space so mm -hmm. a, a new the new consciousness can come in Therefore, as you said, become integrated and therefore change the behavior. That's what we're trying to do. But you have to be able to create the space. You have to remove the yeah. old to bring in the new. So that's a I great example. It. And to be able to sit with the pain, the, the, the OCD, you, you must have been going mental at some stages to, 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 to keep mean, resisting. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's had the tendencies or at least suffered from OCD, you guys know what that is. You guys know what that is. Oh, my God, it's so horrid. You, it's, it's like gut churning. It's like, you, you know, it's, it's sickening. Like you want to go and vomit. Seriously, it's really horrible. So you can just imagine when you direct confront such a deep uh, wiring, um, you can imagine the, you know, the That's what you're talking about. This is why I'm talking about normal therapy. Normal yeah. therapy, if someone gets to that stage, they will actually stop you going through that process. And trying yeah. to try and alleviate your anxiety, they were trying to alleviate your suffering. They'll give you a pill. They'll put you on some, uh, you know, some Prozac or something like that to make you feel happy. Well, the whole idea is you meant to. You have to keep going through the, the suffering. You have yeah. to sit in the pain. You have to sit in the despair. And you know, again, it's this really naive view of who we are spiritually. This idea that this us is this great creation. Uh, unable to cure ourselves we're unable to you know resolve these issues ourselves we need all these external mm. drugs or things that, where you know if you think of the jungian concept the hero's journey the alchemical process they all explain that if you start going through this process the consciousness the world the world we live in will generate and will heal it for you it's already in place we just have to believe in it yeah, I love it. Do you know, yesterday I did a quick real talk live um, on my own. I, as you guys know, I'm going to be doing little snippets, like little videos um, of real talk. And I said a lot about what it looks like to trust ourselves, trust that inner, inner trust. And you exactly touched on that right now. This is so important because as human beings, I don't know what this wiring conditioning is. We lost touch with trusting 
ourselves, our body's intelligence. And uh, you also mentioned somatic therapy. I'm all about somatic therapy. And this is biggest part of my training in psychology was about somatic therapy. And in somatic therapy, just like Kevin says, you've got to literally shake it all out, sit with the anxiety, cry, literally shake whatever it is that you need to do to release the trauma out of your nervous system. You just have to sit with it. And for some reason, here we are in this domesticated world we that we think that is a bad thing to do and that we may not survive it, that we may not have the strength or the body, our body won't cope with it. But that's not true. What did, what did all those people did in history? What did our ancestors do? They didn't have hospitals. They didn't have antidepressants. They didn't have all these things. They trusted their body. Like I was also given an example of rites of passage. In, in our ancestors, you know, rites of passage for a woman was a birth. Childbirth was their initiation into rites of passage because childbirth in itself is the, the most real, the most physical thing that you have to go through. The only thing you can do is trust your body. Nothing else. It's not the doctor. It's not the epidural. It's not the nurse that's giving you the, the support. It's you and you and yourself only that you got to trust yourself. And it's a it's an initiation process. And with boys, you know, they, they used to be sent to jungle, to, to wilderness, to survive at an early age. That was their, their rites of passage. Um, so as males, men, women, we all had that in the past. Now we are so desensitized. We're so domesticated. We just don't trust our bodies. So therefore we're fully disconnected. And we sit here waiting for someone to hand over something to us to give us the solution, give us the answer. But this is, this is the massive conflict, isn't it? Because civilization, the people who run the world, they want us in this robotic mechanical state. That's how they, they want us to be consumers. They want us to be customers. They don't want us to be enlightened spiritual beings because then we become a threat. <laughs> we become a challenge to the way they see the world. And you, you think of them, I mean, I, I, it sounds, um, what's the word, cynical. But if you think of how much money the pharmaceutical industry makes and even the therapeutical world makes, if you bring these your ideas, my ideas, that all falls apart. How many people start uh, stop earning a living? How many people's concepts of the world starts changing and breaking down? So you, you know, again, it's it's like this war of consciousness is is manifesting, and people like us are trying to bring new consciousness in to break up the old consciousness, and then you've got the massive resistance from the people who are unwilling, as you said, yeah. or, or don't don't want it, don't want it, the new consciousness coming in. Yeah. Well, also they they cannot hold it together if if it does like i mean look at the pre pre pandemic world and and look at it post pandemic or at least we're still in the pandemic but this is the post pandemic world now and i'm meeting new people every day that even 6 7 months ago they wouldn't be ready to to certain concepts and they are now ready because they are being forced to be ready they are being forced to look inside they're being forced to take it in their own hands um something is really stirring up inside that okay now this is not a choice anymore in the past like in the past spiritual growth um self-development all these concepts were esoteric you you had a choice like it was a choice 
you know, we called it esoteric. It wasn't for everyone. And, and you know, people would choose to do to go to that, kind of take that path. But now, look, post-pandemic world, every single person I speak to now, they are ready. They want to hear something else. Tell me something. Like, I, I'm just fed up of this, um, the, the usual, you know, world that I know. I'm fed so, up with So, yeah, so the old structure, the old structures, because we're in crisis, right? they're, no longer, they're no longer working. So people will automatically start, or the impact of it not working, maybe you've lost your job or you've yeah. lost your I They've all been shattered. So crisis brings you to a point where you, you will start introspecting and looking at yeah. different ideas. So what, there was one thing I did want to clarify. Not everyone may survive that deep, deep, deep inner work. That has to be a caveat there because uh, there's this very shamanic view of people in, in psychiatric wards are people who are stuck in that spiritual path. They're stuck, they're stuck in limbo. Yeah. And, and the problem is instead of us sitting down and dealing with their suffering or what to what extent we, we give them pills, they, 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 they just stay continue stuck in that, in that limbo. Yeah. So in a way, uh, Jung talks about uh, people, the idea of having to go through a psychosis to get to the other end. Because yeah. in a way, as you said, the old Jews dying. Yes. And, and they cannot stop it. And, and the thing is, like right now, the post-pandemic world, we cannot stop what's happening. All we can do is adapt. You know, there's a saying... Is it Darwin said that? Not the most strongest, the intelligent, but the most adaptable will survive. That's the kind of, that's where we are already. And also, I'm thinking about this also. I'm going to give a quick example. Um, uh, one of my friends who's been going through a, a very dysfunctional, toxic uh, relationship, but he wasn't aware of it until recently. Because this pandemic also confronting relationships, confronting relationships with ourselves. So he had his um, waking up moment to, to this toxic relationship through something really painful that happened to him physically. Like he had to undergo a surgery to really understand what was going on. And he had to, because of this surgery, he then had his, uh, his own dark night of the soul. And then he saw. He saw what he needed to see years ago and he realized I've been doing this for 15 years, oh my God. And, <clears throat> and the same person, my friend, um, I remember trying to get him on one of those psychedelic retreats that we did, even last year. And he kept saying, no, 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 no. And of course, we don't force it. This is not something people should be forced in and psychedelics is only should be you know, given to those people who seek it, and it's not something we can promote. But I now get it. And you know what? Only last week he said to me, I need psychedelics right now and give me triple dose. I want to <laughs> dissolve myself. I want to die like the ego, metaphorically. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think once you cross, if you think of the hero's journey, this idea of crossing, so there's a, there's a, there's this concept of refusal of the call. So there's, there'll be loads of incidences in our life where something will be calling us, but we refuse it. An incident, it's not big enough, it's not strong enough. Or, but okay. something would take us over the threshold. So the next thing is this idea of going over the threshold. And once you're over the threshold, 
there's no looking back. And as you yeah. said, your friend's life now will go along a totally different path. And he's ready and he's open to new challenges, new concepts, new ideas. Um, and instead of just poo-pooing and not trying them, he's actually there's more openness to him to say, okay, I'll give it a go, see what happens. So there's, exactly. there's not this resistance. Exactly. And and then this, of course, makes me think about this. And we had this conversation with uh, another friend that we you know, used to do retreats with. And I said, look, um, I'm so glad that we didn't force, like forcing to, like, you know, sometimes, you know, we get into this, uh, we fall into a trap that <clears throat> we can change people, especially our family members. As soon as we start taking ayahuasca and, and psychedelics and, and maybe like... Uh, uh, discover a meditation temple or discover a uh, like Wim Hof method and this, this whole community like I remember wanting to drag uh, someone that I know into this cold shower thing but the, little do we know that um, people need to come to that level or space or container or, or cross the threshold themselves and this was a really good example of my friend not coming to our retreats last year but also now him asking himself not just a standard dose but he wants triple dose now so this goes this this tells me that if i if i was successful to bring him to our retreat last year kevin he would have one have a really horrible experience he would have not connected with the medicine he would have thought this was so bad and he also would have probably judged it judged the whole experience and probably complicate would have complicated his, his journey and he would have kind of fall into that confused state you know when people are not ready and they take psychedelics and they fall into this psychosis mm -hmm. space where they can't they can't make sense and they, they don't know what's going on and it's actually and they call it bad trip they call it all kinds of things this could have happened but also um symbolically this is how i see it i'm glad he didn't do it then because maybe he shouldn't have done done it then because at the time, he needed that image, the scaffolding, to hold that dysfunctional relationship. Because sometimes when you kind of remove that scaffolding abruptly for someone, they collapse. Sometimes they even fall into a worse um, terminal illness, heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, because like you said, if someone's not crossed that threshold, then they don't have the capacity to, to bear the new consciousness, the new knowing and understanding. And it might be too much for them to physically hold it. And I heard this on the Joe Dispenza retreat myself. Joe Dispenza actually said this. He said, um, sometimes by um, helping people or forcing people to change, you're doing the worst disservice because you can actually kill them physically because yeah. they if they haven't crossed that like you said the threshold then they won't have the capacity to hold it and, and hence why um in michael Pollan's lecture he says most people who um, went and took psilocybin heroic doses on their own recreationally or at least in an underground setting with no um expert facilitator or someone experienced 70% of them seeked therapy because they were going nuts. They were going crazy. They were so lost 
and in pain. So yeah, the threshold, again, highlighting that one more time. It's great. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. So another thing that's really important around that concept as well is, so if you remember, I called my initial conference called Mind the Gap. So if we don't cross that threshold with enough ego strength or enough development, we end up in the gap. We end up in the abyss. We end up in this void. And that's where the psychosis, and that's where, you know, as you said, um, so the, like what you're doing, the microdosing therapy is gradual, 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 strengthen the container, strengthen the container, make them strong enough to be able to cross the threshold. If you do it too quick, they're straight down into the abyss and into the void, and then that's a very difficult place to get somebody back out of. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I think this was so important that we said and mentioned this. So if, okay. we bring, if, we, if we bring it back to what we initially started on, decided to do some mother, mm-hmm. if you take away that image, that idolized mother image too quickly, mm-hmm. they end up in the abyss, they end up into the void. It's yeah. got to be a gradual, gradual breaking up, what we call psychologically differentiation. You've got to start pulling it apart. You've, yes. got to start, you've got to start seeing the opposites, the good and the bad aspects. And then and then the idea, once you've got the good and bad, then you can bring them back together again, but in a healthy way, not in this toxic splitting dynamic. So that's what you're trying to do. But if you do it too quick, mm-hmm. what will normally happen for the, for the, the client will leave. They may they may end up, yes, feeling suicidal, or they may end up increasing their dysfunctional behavior. So a lot yes. of time in therapy, Join therapy, you will get that resistance. They will increase their toxic behavior. They may start drinking more. They might start, but that's sort of that and something you maybe expect because these resistance gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, these are these are all the things you've got to be very careful of. That threshold, yeah. You f- maybe think of it as a sheet of glass. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something you know treaded over very carefully, yeah. so you don't fall down into the abyss. Yeah. So, yeah, this threshold is something of my passion and I always say, and I actually um, confronted someone on LinkedIn the other day. So, as you know, I post these um, images, dark images, photography that really reveals the true soul and then some text with it. And um, there's this guy on LinkedIn that he's constantly um, attacking, like it's a personal attack. He thinks I am promoting negativity mm-hmm. and um Every post I post, uh, he always messages me either privately or sometimes he says it underneath the post. He says, I subscribe to love. I subscribe to um, compassion. Um, Like, you know, and then privately one day he said to me, I have this book on love. I can send it to you through free. I sense that you need to learn about love and stop promoting (laughs) negativity. I found this hilarious. And I said to him, but... A couple of days ago, I confronted them and I said, I am really interested to know how do you teach love to somebody who has not crossed that threshold? How do you tell? It's almost like the, the symbolically or metaphorically, it's almost like this. You can scream until you go red in the face about love, but if the person is deaf and blind, which means disconnected, you can scream and scream and scream. They not they are not going to hear you. Love is an experience in the body. Love is an experience. It's a knowing. It's a feeling. It's not language. It's not talking. You can tell someone as much as you like, 
to love yourself, love yourself, love everyone, love the planet, love and light. But if the person is not feeling in their bones, they don't have the capacity, forget about it, right? This is my point. And with crossing the threshold, I'm getting too excited here because you just kind of touched on the things that I'm really uh, passionate about. Another thing that I love is that an example of the most common thing that we uh, saw when we did those psychedelic retreats, for example, for whatever reason, uh, in couples, especially in couples, like partners, husband, wife, spouse. So one of them always, for some reason, one of them always wakes up for whatever reason before the other one. Like whether it's a terminal, they face a terminal illness like cancer or some autoimmune or uh, maybe a loss in the family, parent, or God forbid, you know, all these things. And uh, they suddenly wake up and then they go and find like uh, plant medicine, psychedelics to help themselves through the transition. But what they, what they don't realize is that that event that was so painful for them was their threshold. That's, that was the event that helped them cross that threshold that we're talking about. So they are ready to contain the next level of consciousness and understanding and transcending. So they go and find these retreats with psychedelics and then they take it themselves. Guess what happens? Guess what happens, Kevin? You're going to love this. On the next retreat, they drag the partner there. <laughs> they don't realize, oh, my God, I've gone through my own, you know, crossed my own threshold. I've, I've grown in capacity to hold this experience. But my, they don't realize, like you said, because they're in the bubble. You said earlier they are in that extension. He is my extension. Therefore, everything I'm going through, so is he. But that's not true. Or her. But that's not true, right? Even even if we're in that romantic uh, bond, we still have our own divine timing. I call it. Always. Yeah, and it's very naive to think because you've been for it, someone else is going to be able to go for it or want to go for it. Uh, I just wanted oh, to come what? back to, to the yeah. guy you, guy you was talking about love. I think it's really important because I, I when I hear this, I just have to chuckle because it, it's it's so funny on some sort of fundamental level, but. It reminds me of this concept of spiritual bypassing where there's no negativity, it's all love and light, and you know, it's a bit like the Eckhart Tolle sort of version of spirituality. But true love, to truly love yourself, you have to love your negative, bad aspects of yourself. You have to fall in love with your shadow. You have to fall in love with the negativity. That makes you a whole person. Therefore, only until you can do that, how can you love if you don't love the negative aspects of yourself, this is why this guy has such much of a reaction to you about the negativity, because he hasn't embraced his own negativity. He's rejecting it. He's projecting it. And he's, he's got this concept that love is, okay, so he mentions compassion, but compassion's all about having empathy towards your negative bad aspects of yourself. It's not all about just one resided dimensional, even good aspects of yourself. That's a crazy concept of love. And yet he has a book that he wrote on love. There's a mm. lot of people with books. <laughs> bypassing, yeah, bypassing is real. Honestly, bypassing is real. And I love what you said. Look, we need to highlight this. You said just because somebody's willing and ready to go through inner work, not necessarily everybody is open and ready. Also want to. Like... Who would want to do the crazy thing anyway, initially, right? Start. Let's go back to our own 
first journey is like, who in the right mind would want to go through such a journey? Of course, at the end of it, it's so beautiful and rewarding and amazing. But um, some sometimes people just don't have to do it either. So we just got to be okay with that, I think. Your, your example was also another really important thing we need to take on board and join this project. So this woman, I think you said it was a woman, she went through the threshold. So the reason why her mind, we could we could circumvent, we could guess, she wants the partner to go through it is because she may end up losing the partner. She right. may end up losing that relationship. So the way of remedying it is to try and force someone else through into your new world. It just it doesn't work like that. Part of this process is moving on. It is grieving. It is it is losing people. Very important to us to move to the next level of consciousness. As we lose to that next level of consciousness, the person below us who's not at that level, we will gradually lose them. That is part of the process. That's part of the loss and grieving process we have to take on board. And just another thing I'd like to take on board, this is where I think the world's stuck. This idea that we can intellectually, academically take people over the line of the threshold is ridiculous. Yeah. This is it's, 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 it's normally through a crisis, it's normally through emotional experience, a spiritual experience, it's normally something that happens to you, and you can't force that through the intellect. You, yeah. can't, you can't talk about it as much as you like, yeah. you know, investigate it intellectually. It has to be something you do as an experience to get over that line. You're not going to be able to do it through academia. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, you got to be in the experience, sit in the experience, embrace the experience, accept the experience, feel it in your bones, less of a language, less of a... Uh, less but, of- but, to, but to be in a dynamic, so June talks about you can do individuate in a, a romantic relationship because mm-hmm. that new relationship is breaking up the old dynamics. Yeah. It is causing the separation. So you can do it through relationship but that, that's why another thing people don't understand therapy initially therapy is all about creating this what we call a working alliance this trusted environment where you can start working but the real work happens between what we call the transference and the counter transference this interactive field which is getting worked around change differentiated and that's where the real real work happens it's probably a bit like with you the the mushroom exactly that so that interactive field is being maneuvered moved shifted apart and then as again we're creating a new space to bring something new in yeah exactly so these are great points oh my god so many threads here that we you know highlighted and yeah the microdosing would be exactly that the microdosing in itself is exactly what you said creates space creates a container and gradually gradually builds up your resilience your uh, strength your um, stamina stamina would be the right word i mean with my own experience with microdosing it this is exactly what's done it's very subtle i'm not tripping but i'm feeling deeper like i'm not tripping at all but for some reason i'm really feeling deep so deep that I'm getting these uh, revelations, insights. Um, 
I'm locked into the present moment. I mean, what does present moment tell us? Oh my God, everything happens in the present moment. Why do we, why, why is it so hard to be in the present moment? Because present moment holds the truth. Hmm. Everything happens here. And yet human beings, we always live in the past or the future. So the people, they say the depressed people are always in the past. Anxious people are always in the future. Present moment is precious. It's a gift. And with microdosing, I realized I was locked into this present moment that I cannot escape, even if I tried to. And I was, in a very gentle and loving way, I was directed, pointed at the things that I would normally ignore, dismiss, not pay attention. And suddenly, like, oh, my God, I'm noticing myself that I'm noticing. It's such a... Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great statement. No, I'm noticing what I'm noticing. Yeah, I'm, ob- I'm observing what I'm uh, what I'm observing. Yes, fantastic. That's exactly right. Yeah, this is exactly what microdosing does. It literally, I I would take a moment and say, "Oh my god, I'm observing." So I'm noticing what I'm noticing. It was so, just so, so. Why do most people? Why do most people not want to sit in that yeah. state? Because they don't like what they're noticing. Exactly, right? Like this, this persona they've created. If they sit with it long enough, they're not gonna like it. They're not gonna. There's gonna be parts of it they don't actually like. There's gonna be parts of it they're gonna start understanding what it means to give up what they've surrendered to, what they've sacrificed to keep this persona in place. So yeah. they 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 sitting with the alienation of their true self. And most people don't want to sit in that moment. But as you said, what the thing was so funny, people like us doing this work, we want to sit in this space all the time. I want to be here all day long. Yeah. <laughs> all day long. All day long. Um, and, you know, that's why we do all these things we do, like meditation and mm. and whatnot. But, um, yeah, you're right. But, but, I, but then again, you know, container and having the capacity. Like recently my favorite word is like capacity, having the, the capacity, building it. To be able to go through this, uh, this process is the key, I think, and um, yeah. So we so we would call that ego strength. Okay, I like that too because I never thought ego was an enemy. Anyway, I always thought, hang, hang on a minute, like in the psychedelic space, we have these um, concepts that's always thrown around. Let's kill kill the ego. It kills the ego. Ego dissolution, uh, dissolving. And I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, you are actually maybe symbolically or metaphorically, you are killing your ego while you're in the ceremony. But then the moment you come out of your process of psychedelics and you go back to your home, your ego is back in the uniform again, back at work. So you're not really killing or or dissolving or getting rid of. It's just that you're becoming more aware of it, right? And uh, it's a massive misconception, this idea of the ego. They're all about, normally they're talking about the, the inflated part of your ego, the psychotic parts, the narcissistic parts of your ego. Yeah, they need to be dissolved, as you said, these attachments, these possessions. But as I've said, the adult ego, the, the strengthened adult ego is, is fully aware, it's fully functioning, it can it can tolerate ambivalence, it, it, it's constantly reality checking, it's constantly dis removing fantasies you need the ego strength that structure that capacity to move over the threshold and then start your spiritual journey without it you end up collapsing into the abyss 
All right, amazing stuff. Okay, it's hour and a half nearly, Kevin, and we haven't even touched the slides again. <laughs> yeah, I was like, realizing that. <laughs> I I have to, um, seems like we're going to have to do these as series. Let's do yeah. these. As a, uh, maybe we should have these as a therapy session series. They are. For me, these are therapy sessions. It's so beautiful. So I just want to say thank you on that. And, yeah, we're definitely coming back again for another uh, episode because we still need to finish those slides, guys. And, uh, uh, the yeah. good thing to say, they, they are open for people to read them. And then, as yeah. I said, if they want, do want to explore it more, they can come and work mm -hmm. with me or have an yeah. initial conversation, see if it works for them. Yeah. Exactly. So if you guys feel, uh, if you guys feel uh, that you have connected with Kevin, do check his work out. It's one of the most realist work that you will get yourself into. Honestly, it's so profound. And I had the honor to be friends with Kevin for how many years now, Kevin? Two years, I think, two? I think it's more than that. It's probably, it could be free now, yeah. It could be free now, but it feels like I know Kevin for a lifetime. And I feel like every time, the, every time my doubt police patrols, I find myself texting Kevin and saying, hey, this is what's going on. Tell me, what do you think? And then he just kind of reflects back and I'm like, oh, yes. So it's just beautiful to have those people around to just check in with. So, yeah, highly recommend his website. So we're going to share your website and your work and the link and the slides. Let's let's share the slides again so people can look at. So initially, um, these conversations started out with these uh, slides that Kevin created for us. They're beautiful to, to read through. And uh, but because we talk so much we kind of like not had the chance to go through all of them. So I'm going to add the link into the chat so you guys can check it out. And last but not least, um, closing closing comments from you, Kevin. What would you like to say? Uh, so one thing I'd like to say is, is to do the thing you'd like uh, least. I'd reciprocate enjoying your relationship and having um, great friendship with you. So just to you know, share that um, importance of you and the work you're doing and and also as a friend my my development and growth so that's just sharing that but um i just think also um just keep exploring this just keep asking questions that's all we can do there's people out there who are on different different paths different different um sort of stages of their journey it can help um guide you along and as, as 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 little as you insignificant as you think what you can offer you your you will help us all grow we can all grow from your individual experience as long as you can share it with everybody else because everyone's experience is different and unique and that's what we need to be all working with with people helping them on this journey amazing beautiful stuff thank you so much kevin thank you Amazing. I'm going to look forward to the next one already. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Any questions, comments, please drop them in the, in, below in the comments in the Facebook group. And thank you for making it this far. If you catch this recording on another time, appreciate you. Let's connect. Keep the conversation going. Much love. See you on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you. Cheers.